Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. A word of warning. This podcast explores graphic and disturbing stories and includes some strong language. It therefore may not be suitable for our young listeners or other folks who may find it disturbing. Hello and welcome to True Crime Daily, the podcast covering high-profile and under-the-radar cases from across the country every week. We are recording this on August 11th, 2021. I'm your host, Anna Garcia, and our guest this week is a regular contributor to the podcast, former homicide detective, current private investigator and do-gooder, Louis Bolaños. Hi, Louis. Welcome back. Hi, Anna. Yes, very current. I'm happy to be here. I, I really appreciate the opportunity. Thank you. Well, Lewis is a personal friend as well. We work on all sorts of crime projects together. So Lewis actually requested we cover one of these cases this week. So I'm very curious curious to hear what you have to say. Here's what we're looking at. A Louisiana millionaire has pleaded guilty to planning the kidnapping of his estranged wife, which resulted in the deaths of the two kidnappers. But first, a Minnesota man is accused of decapitating his girlfriend and then leaving her body on the street. On July 28th, around 2.31 in the afternoon, police got a call that there had been a stabbing in one of the suburbs of Minneapolis. Police say when they arrived, 55-year-old America Thayer's body was next to a car in the street. She was decapitated and her head was placed next to her body. Lewis, you wanted to talk about this case. There's a lot about this, obviously, that is horrific. But um, when we were chatting yesterday, you said to me, you classified this as a, as a type of a case. Yeah, Anna. You know, I hadn't given it the thought to to that angle since uh, uh, until you asked that question, and uh, you asked what caught my attention. Why did I think it was important to highlight this case? Um, and you know, I, I I knew it should be brought to the forefront. I was surprised that it was buried, which is what this show does. It gets cases that don't you don't normally see come to light. Um, but there's plenty of cases out there like this. But when I read about the circumstances behind this. And you asked that question, I instantly thought it may be the worst, one of the worst, or in fact, the worst uh, domestic violence case I've ever seen in my career. And that says a lot because I've seen some pretty bad ones. And, and anybody in law enforcement in the justice system can probably say the same thing. But a beheading, a decapitation, unheard of. In public, right? In public, broad daytime, in the middle of a neighborhood, in an intersection, with people driving by, people peeking out their windows. Uh, 
Yeah, it was people, brutal. People thought that it was maybe a prank or maybe they were, you know, videotaping or filming something because I, I don't think there's any place in our brains where we could process the possibility that in a neighborhood someone would be not only murdered but decapitated in, right. in broad daylight. Right. It, so I think that's what's very jarring for people. And, and the people who witnessed this have really had a difficult time processing what it is that they saw. I mean, one of the witnesses actually said to the to the police officer, she said, please tell me that this is a prank because I can't believe that what I saw is real. And when the officer confirmed it, you know, they, they've really had a hard time. I mean, some people said that as they were driving by, they saw him hacking the body. Yeah. Hacking in the middle of cutting the head off of decapitating. Yeah. That's what they saw. And they just, their mind told them, no, that can't be happening. And I, I bet that frame of thought probably was some of the first thoughts that came across the minds of the first officers on scene. They couldn't believe what they were seeing. Yeah. In fact, one of the witnesses, the woman who lived in the house next door, who started videotaping everything on her cell phone, again, thinking, oh, this is some crazy prank. If she said that after, you know, he took the head and put it right next to the body, the attacker went into the car, grabbed his backpack, put it over his shoulders, walked away as if nothing had happened. Again, leading people who have just seen this to think, well, obviously, you know, this isn't real because no one would ever act in such a calm manner unless they were, you know, acting. Right, right. And that what you just described of uh, grabbing the head and placing it next to the body, again, qualifies as posing. That was, again, to make it as personal as possible, to, to send a message to everybody in, that, in America's life. Because uh, that was her name, name of our, of our victim here. Uh, but it's just, yeah, he, that was an intentional move. And he walked away as if it was just another day for him. He was content with what just happened. And she actually changed her name to America after she became a naturalized citizen. She was so proud to be an American that she changed her first name to yeah. America. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit more about this case. I'm sorry that it is so horrific. Police officers do believe that they found the murder weapon, a machete. Apparently one of the neighbors found it in one of the bushes the next day. That appears to be the murder weapon. So again, this is what people describe. They saw a car stop near the intersection. The driver was a man and he was swinging an object near the passenger door. Okay. I don't even, uh, do you think that was the head? Or do you he think was that swinging, was the machete? That was the machete he was swinging. Oh, God. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> the driver then reportedly dragged what looked like a body out of the car. Then, of course, as I said, grabbed his backpack, walked away. So what's... I, I can't even imagine what that... I said someone was videotaping this on their cell phone. I can't even imagine can't even imagine what that looks like but that is going to be so crucial i think in the court case right obviously i mean there's going to be a lot of evidence there are a lot of witnesses here and what's interesting here is that um well i mean sadly this is what we find all the time 
that what was going on between this couple is they'd been together a long time and there were issues of domestic violence. Police had been called. There were police records about this. And America had even gone to court to try and retract some of her statements. She begged the judge. She wrote a handwritten note trying to take back what it is that she said because there was a um, no contact order and she wanted it removed. You see this a lot, right, Lewis, that the victims of domestic violence are offered are often pressured by their abusers to recant and try and fix things. Because if you don't fix things, right? Right, right, right. They, they try to. It, you see it way too often. But two things. The video that was taken by the witness was done through her kitchen window. She was inside of her house cleaning and looked out her window and saw something she couldn't believe was happening and had the mindset to start videotaping. So that is most likely going to be Exhibit A, assisting uh, and in the justice system. I did a little background on our suspect here, and I saw that he had a few contacts for DUIs, for, flating, for uh, fleeing and evading peace officers. But what I found very telling here, uh, that on July 23rd of 2017, July 23rd, 2017, Mm -hmm. Uh, just a few days later on the 27th is when that letter of recantation, as you were talking about, was written by America Thayer. And I want to read a little bit from it because I think it's Mm -hmm. important where her mindset was at that time. She writes to the court, my name is America M. Thayer. I live with Alexis Sabaret. For four years, we never have a problem. The problem we have was an argument. He never abused me, never. He don't have anyone in this country and don't speak English. I need to be in contact with him to help us. We don't have problem for four years, please. We never have problem. We will go to any treatment recommended. We, excuse me, I need the no contact order removed, please. Thank you. Sincerely, America Thayer, again, dated 727. 17, four days after he pled guilty in the domestic violence case, which is most likely indicative of her trying to soften up the sentencing. Sentencing is still coming. Uh, And to show where her mindset is at the time, uh, that no matter what was happening, she's still trying to protect this guy. You can only imagine the reasons that made her feel that she had to write that letter. Was it under force or fear of being harmed or force or fear of being uh, abandoned by him, wherever her mindset was, but something tells me she felt alone also and that she had to grab onto this guy. You see this a lot in, in domestic violence cases uh, and the recantation. So I hope the court took that in stride. Um, I did see a reference in a few news articles, and I have not able to find it in any of the court documents yet, that that same machete that was recovered and used in the beheading was used in a prior domestic violence case. So that that is significant if they didn't uh, take that as evidence. Mm-hmm. Or they, I find it hard that they took and gave it back. But a lot yeah. of references to that same machete being used in a prior domestic violence uh, so America, at, yeah. at the the description of the man in the car, you know, who walked away so coolly, so calmly matched her boyfriend. Yeah. Perhaps estranged, perhaps not. They were both in the car. We're going to explain where they were headed and why that's important and what was going on right before this happens.
So he has been identified as 42-year-old Alexis Sabaret. Matches the description of the suspect. Officers were able to take him into custody shortly after this incident. They say that he tried to get away, but, you know, they, they caught him they, and they charged him with second-degree murder, which I find very, very interesting. I also find it interesting that the police who arrived at the scene recognized America because America worked at the dollar store and she also worked at my pillow, but she was, you know, in a smaller neighborhood and you go into the dollar store all the time, you know, you, you, excuse me, the local dollar tree store. I want to make sure I have the right name of the store. You know, everyone, she also had, you know, um, kind of very big, blonde, wavy hair. The only reason I say that is because it's so easily identifiable, in addition to obviously knowing her. Right. There, were, there were things about her that were uh, very identifiable in the community. So he, Alexis, allegedly told the police, now he has since changed his story. So this is what police say he initially said on arrest, and then we'll go into why things are changing now. He said that she had just gone too far this time, that she, America, wanted to break up with him. And so that is what led to this argument. I I don't even think it was an argument. I think, honestly, he just, she said, I want to break up with you. And he just decided he would kill her. Obviously, he's charged. He has not gone through the legal system yet. So what I find interesting is that they were actually headed to court where she was going to help him as not only a witness, but moral support on another case. Apparently, like a year earlier, he was accused of setting his apartment on fire. And that is a charge that is still pending. But according to news reports, she not only paid for his bail to get out, she found an attorney for him and she paid for the attorney to further complicate the situation lewis apparently what was going on was that attorney who was representing the boyfriend in the apartment fire case was removing himself from the case because he had developed a relationship with america I'm just giving you a little background wow. of what's going on with 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 the people involved here. So, yeah. and then if she did say to him, "I'm breaking up with you," and that's what what set him off this last time, yeah. Yeah. I'm just you, astonished. Yeah, you, you mentioned you had a question about uh, the charges that were actually filed on him. Uh, yeah, and, and and so did I. I don't want to hear where you're where you're going with that. Um, but in the complaint, I read. Uh, I think most of the complaint, uh, there's someone identified as victim three that says 15 minutes prior to the suspect murdering America, they were at a park, Memorial Park, and they were all gathered. And in that meeting, they had 15 minutes prior uh, that the suspect admitted to witness three that he has a machete with him and he always has a machete with him. And, you know, I, I find that interesting because I, I'm trying to see why this is not just a straight out premeditated murder. 
Um, I'm not convinced it's not, and I'm not convinced that when they staffed this for prosecution, that that was not part of the uh, conversation and it may still turn into a, a first degree murder. Because uh, he wore a hoodie, he had the machete with him. In court, he tried to describe the machete as a knife. Technically, machete is a knife, but come on, this is a machete. This is a huge freaking knife. Um, and uh, if he carried that with him at all times, or did he just bring it for this trip? Um, because it, it, it's very, very much on the fence as to how this case can be prosecuted. Uh, so yeah. one of the neighbors told police when, as all of this was happening, the neighbors told police that Alexis had been abusive to America. And I do believe that the court record and the police reports certainly indicate that. But the neighbor and friend, her name is Faith Howie, and she told a local television station that about a month ago, America showed up at her doorstep at two in the morning. And she said, quote, this is what America said to her. Can I sleep here tonight? I'm afraid he's going to get up and start in again. Now, that could mean anything from being abusive, both physically, verbally, sexually. It could mean anything. So clearly she was seeking help because in one of the incidents where she called police, this this says a lot about his mindset that on the one of the domestic violence calls that when police arrived, he still had her pinned to the ground. You would think you would have the forethought, right? Right. That when police are knocking at your door, you pretend, right, that nothing's going on. He couldn't release. Too angry. He could not turn off that switch. Right. He was too angry. Could control it. Wow. Yeah. 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 And again, you know, we, we see this a lot, Lewis. The sad thing with, the very sad thing about domestic violence is the constant escalation and how often it ends in such a horrific manner. And we've seen cases where courts have imposed all sorts of stay-away orders. I mean, I did a horrific case in Texas that broke my heart. This woman was in hiding with her teenage son. She was under a different name. You know, there was a stay-away order. This guy put a tracking device on her car. He managed to figure out because he was in the car business. Right. He managed to figure out where her car was at one point. Mind you, she's living in a different town, different name, all the bills under different, everything, everything manages to put a tracking device on her vehicle at one point. And that's how he finds her. And he ultimately kills her. And there was just, there was going to be no stopping him. Like, how can you protect someone from this? Yeah, there's just no way to protect 100%. Just no way to do it 100%. Uh, but there are things that can be done. And I hope they take this case as, as, a, as an example of, to, if, to review and to figure out where and if there were any opportunities to prevent this. Um, it, yeah. it is that horrible and that type of case that should be brought to the forefront um, and used to improve domestic violence investigations and prevention. If even possible, he even had uh, Alexis even had the nerve in court to ask the judge to release him back to his country to go home instead of uh, being subjected to the judicial system here in time here in the United States. Uh, And of course, the judge said, no, thank goodness. 
But the mindset to think that that's a possibility after a crime like that, uh, it's just well, well, he's had a change. So if, you know, l- let's see whether the initial confessions are admissible, right? Those are always going sure. to be in question if this goes forward to a trial. So he initially tells police he did it and why he did it, right? That's it. He was done with her. She was breaking up. Now that he's in being held in a jail, and now that he is formally charged, he's changed everything. Right. His new story is this. He says that America attacked him, and it was self-defense. Now, the problem with this is mm. self-defense does not require a decapitation. No, no. So good luck with that defense. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. exactly. So he's, you know, he's completely changed his tune. I don't think it's going to help him at all. And he's being held, Alexis Sabaret is being held on $2.5 million in the Scott County Jail. So we don't think he's going to be released anytime soon. And... I mean, if this does go to court, it's going to be really gruesome. Yeah, it really is. It really is. Well, now we move to Louisiana, where a millionaire has admitted to being the mastermind behind an attempted kidnapping of his estranged wife. And in a horrific twist of events, the two men who he had allegedly hired to kidnap his wife drowned during a pursuit horrible just just a horrible horrible case so the husband is 51 year old lawrence handley he was the ceo and founder of a chain of substance abuse centers in louisiana called townsend and when he sold this chain in 2015 he made 21 million dollars in cash okay so when we say millionaire we are saying millionaire This is a man with a lot of access, okay? Something clearly was going on in his relationship with his estranged wife, as you will see. And the allegations here are, well, I mean, uh, some of this is substantiated by how this, how the kidnapping unfolded in real time in Louisiana as the poor woman is being driven in a van. Okay, so let's go. First, let's look at what he is actually pled to in court. So on July 26, Lawrence Handley accepted a plea deal for the 2017 kidnapping attempt, which not only involved the abduction of his wife, Shanda, but also her teen daughter and their neighbor. They were actually tied up because they were in the house when the kidnappers broke in. He pleaded guilty to three counts of second degree kidnapping, according to the district attorney's office. According to the prosecutor, Lawrence Handley hired Sylvester Bracely and Arsenio Haynes, both of them from Jackson, Mississippi, to kidnap the estranged wife from her home in Lafayette, Louisiana. Okay, Sylvester and Arsenio were both 27 at the time. As I've said, they've since passed. Now let's go to the crime. And when this happened in 2017, it was August of 2017, and Sylvester and Arsenio barged into the wife's home in Lafayette, handcuffed the neighbor, Michelle, who was visiting, and the teenage daughter, because the kidnappers wanted the wife, not the daughter, not the neighbor. They were, what, collateral damage because they happened to be in the house? Exactly. I I think that it was botched from the beginning. When they broke into that house and the information they had, they must have believed that she would be by herself, the wife. 
and they were caught by surprise to find the neighbor, an adult neighbor, and the, and the daughter there. So they actually handcuffed them and left them behind and took just a wife. So the first step, they're screwed up. This thing was botched all the way. Uh, I'm going to say that the whole plan was yeah. screwy from the very beginning. Yeah. Because this... And thank goodness. Go sorry, but thank goodness it was. But yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, I mean, yeah. because what's so ridiculous about this plan that we're going to get into is that the husband's defense... And his attorney even said this, that, oh, this is just a huge misunderstanding. This was a scheme in order for the husband to prove to the wife of what a hero he is, that he was going to come in and rescue her. Give me a break. This is how he plans to impress his estranged wife and get her back? Yeah. Well, again, good luck with so. that defense. Good luck with that one. Uh, yeah, but, exactly. Yeah. Good luck with that one. Okay, yeah. so let's get back to the day of the kidnapping. So the men took the wife at gunpoint. They put a bag over her head and they for forced her into a van. The van was going from Lafayette, Louisiana to Baton Rouge. While driving, the kidnappers themselves caught the attention of police because the kidnappers started driving erratically. They started driving on the shoulder of the road because they were annoyed the traffic was delaying them. Okay? So police see this and say, what the heck's going on here? Police try to pull them over. And when that happens, the two suspects, the kidnappers, run out of the van and they run toward the canal and they go into the canal. And that is where they drowned. Right. Right. So, yeah. So thank goodness for the erratic driving, because who knows how this thing would have headed up, ended up. I, I can't see her walking away from this unscathed. Uh, unless that happened. But the erratic driving is what's probably saved her life. And they felt cornered like they had no other option but to run to the canal and jump in. Now, I've worked a lot of these canals for a variety of reasons in my career. And I, in Louisiana, besides everything else that concerns me about the dangers of a canal, the gators, <laughs> gators and snakes and the wildlife, I mean, they're more than uh, more than a nuisance there. They're their major concern. These guys felt so brave and, and or brave or so scared that their only option was to jump in the canal. If this was a man-made canal and it appeared that it was, uh, they're concrete sides. Once you jump in, if you're not thinking about how you're going to get out, they're so slick. You cannot climb out. And it's very common for people to jump in, jump in for a swim or for whatever reason and find themselves trapped or in a current. And it took them both out. But it's it, and no. you know and I'm not defending the kidnappers by any means right. but even if they had been prosecuted for this crime which they appear to have taken part in under no circumstances would they ever have been killed for this Correct. and so for me I it's not that I'm having sympathy for a criminal but they did not deserve to die they did not deserve to die to lose their lives over this now, I know what you're saying. Who knows what could have happened to this woman, and she may have been murdered. We don't know, but she wasn't. But, right. but she wasn't. So when the police go to search the van, they find the wife, and she's been stripped of some of her clothes. She said that she had been threatened, that she was kidnapped, and she said that the kidnappers were going to take her to her husband. So I find that interesting. Did the kidnappers tell her that? Did she figure that out? 
Well, they were heading in the direction, supposedly they were going to a camp that they had at another location where the, uh, the husband and wife had been to on prior occasions. Maybe she recognized the direction. Again, her eyes were covered, I believe, but maybe mm-hmm. she got a sense for what direction they were going. So who knows? It could have been said just to keep her calm, uh, mm-hmm. to minimize the resistance. Uh, who knows? But I, I don't trust the thing they were saying. No, no, absolutely not. Absolutely not. You can't really trust any, frankly, you can't trust anyone with this because there's so many inconsistencies with what was going on. So four days later, the husband is arrested in a motel in Louisiana. And according to court filings, Lawrence, this is the husband, apparently had the items that were necessary to kidnap someone to bind and torture and abuse her. So that leads me to believe that he wasn't going to try and sweet talk his way back into his wife's life, right? Right, right. Because I'd have roses, not implements of torture with me. Yeah. Just tossing it out there. I know I'm old-fashioned that way. Um, So, again, the husband's attorney claims this really was a scheme to win her back, and and it just didn't work out. I don't believe that for a minute. I no. think that's a bunch of bunk. No. Um, I, I don't know if they're still claiming that as a defense, but eventually police did find a few videos that have some interesting uh, stuff on it. Uh, some of the videos they found was Lawrence himself planning the kidnapping, purchasing the handcuffs, and renting the van for the two thugs. All on video. So uh, there's, <laughs> again, uh, evidence item number A. And once again, no roses or a box of chocolates no, no, no in any of those right. those lists, right? No. And apparently, as you said, there is surveillance video. There's even some audio that apparently captured the conversation between the husband and the two hired kidnappers. Now, this is what's so bizarre. According to one of the, uh, the police, one of the videos claimed that Lawrence is heard saying that he would pay the men with 19 gold bars. Who pays for anything with gold bars and then let alone let's say you're given the gold bars just like what do you do with them where do you take gold bars okay (laughs) i didn't see that part nice catch on the gold bars that's interesting only because in the last year i've had three other cases where payments were attempted at least said were going to be made in gold bars every one of these were bs schemes Um, so i i of course no one does that that's just a, a Another ploy, but gold bars are apparently appealing to folks if they actually exist. Wow. So this is a trend, Louis. See, this is the thing when you've got like an active investigator as your guest. It's like, so this is a trend now, gold bars. Yeah, gold bars. It's a thing, right? And I say if someone wants to pay in gold bars, you know, no, doubt that. Doubt it. And and, (laughs) yeah, it's not going to (sighs) happen most likely. You know, I, I find yeah. it interesting that he's he's uh, the charges are are kidnapping variations of kidnapping, not just for the wife, but for the kidnapping of the child and and the neighbor, the adult neighbor in the house. Different levels because they were right. they were prevented from moving and and, and within the home. Uh, but the death of the two thugs, mm-hmm. um, it you know, I'm wondering. I love to hear how the conversation is going. Again, not out of the realm of possibilities. They died in the commission of a felony. Does he, as the orchestrator of this, have some culpability for their death? Um, and that's something that may still uh, have to be answered here in the future. Perhaps criminal culpability. May- Sorry. Oh, criminal. Okay, because yeah. I was going to say maybe in a civil court, maybe no. maybe their families have some recourse against this millionaire. Right. 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 
So things could get interesting. It, they, they could. Again, I'm not defending them, but I don't think that they deserve to die. No. I certainly don't. All right. So now here's the other interesting thing about this. So initial, initially, Lawrence pleaded not guilty by reason of insanity. So that then forced the court to check his mental status. And the court found that he was mentally competent and he could indeed stand trial and that it would move forward in 2018. So when that move didn't work, that's when he decided to enter into the plea deal. So as part of the plea deal that was entered into in July, Lawrence pleaded guilty to two counts of second-degree kidnapping, one count of attempted second-degree kidnapping, and he will now be facing between 15 and 35 years in prison. The plea deal allows Lawrence to avoid a charge of aggravated kidnapping. This is what they took off the table because that would have carried a mandatory life sentence in Louisiana. And my question is, why'd they take that off the table? Yeah, You've got two people dead. Yeah, exactly. Um, maybe for cooperation. I, I, I don't know. I, it, it's something that should have stayed on that table a little longer. It's the last thing you do if you've run out of all recourses. So I don't have an answer why that would be justified at this point. And I suppose it's possible that what he's like 53 years old and he's going to be in prison, maybe a minimum of 15 years to maybe 35. So it could end up being almost like a life in prison, but who knows this, you know, my guess is he probably will be released early like everybody else. Now here's the other interesting thing about what was going on in Lawrence's life. This is according to his own attorney. He's made these statements. He said, that Lawrence, the husband, had been using cocaine and methamphetamine on the days leading up to the plot. Well, maybe that would have showed up in his system when they arrested him and they took blood. Um, so I think that can be confirmed or denied if that's there. But that again, that's pushing toward the insanity plea, that he was not in his normal uh, mental state mm-hmm. uh, it, and every i gotta say out of the thousand times i've seen that <laughs> in my career i've seen it come to fruition one time um it's a very common ploy as we all know and very difficult to show that you were in fact out of your mind as a defense yeah, yeah. well rich man over here was going to pull every trick that he could to get out of this thing yeah. um and You know, he not only made his millions in these substance abuse centers in Louisiana, but he also sold vitamins, energy supplements, and then something, and calcium cream. So this is a guy who would, I don't know what calcium cream is. I know, I'm sure all of you on YouTube will be telling me (laughs) the benefits of calcium cream (laughs) when this drops. But again, he's, you know, this is a guy who's made a lot of money, so access and getting things done should not have been an issue. However, there is something fishy in his background, okay? Mm-hmm. So I, I said he made like, what, $20 million on the sale of these substance abuse centers. So in 2005, he has a very strange conviction. He was convicted for passing a fraudulent check, a $22,000 check that he used to try and charter a private plane. If you're a millionaire, why How do you have to happen? pass a bad check? Right. Just not a good bookkeeper. So who, who knows? <laughs> right. <laughs> Doesn't make sense, but they never I, do. I do not know. All right. So Shanda and Lawrence 
married in 2006. This would be the year after the private plane incident. Okay, it's the following year, just putting things in order for you. They also together ran something called the Handley Family Foundation, a charitable organization. If I were the Attorney General of Louisiana, I would be looking into the finances of this thing. That's what I say. Anyway, this foundation focused on fundraising for children who were poor, cancer patients, and young professionals hoping to become more involved in the community, according to the Clarion Ledger. Now, that's a pretty broad mission for one charity. Everything from cancer to poor children and young professionals. You hit all, you hit all the notes. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So... If I'd be digging real deep into this right. foundation if I, if I were the authorities. So then in 2017, Lawrence, Lawrence, the husband, files for divorce from the wife, Shanda. He's the one who initiates the divorce. I find that interesting. So during that year, so now we know it's contentious, 2017, that is the same year of the kidnapping. Right. Right? So everything's happening just a few months apart. So then Lawrence alleges in court that the wife, Shanda, attacked him and threatened him. And he said she hired a hitman to kill him. Yeah. For those of you listening, Lewis and I have just shrugged our shoulders. I don't even know what to say to that, right? Is there proof to that or is this just something he's trying to put out there to, to, to build the wall of defense around himself still? I have no idea. So I have is- no idea, but I do find it very interesting that that allegation made in court records is exactly the M.O. that plays out from him to her. Right. So um, now Shanda herself, the wife, was charged with destroying property and shooting into the wall of the couple's camp. That's the camp in Mississippi where he offered the gold bars to the kidnappers. This is where she allegedly was being taken by the kidnappers. So a lot happens on this property. Um, So that was in March of 2017, but a judge later acquitted her of that. And Shanda claimed that Lawrence installed a tracking device on her phone had spyware on her computer and was sending her threatening texts this all before the abduction and warning her and this was his quote to his estranged wife warning her of armageddon yeah yeah he's a gonna get her and he tried is that, yeah. I mean, honestly, yeah. and, this is like a really bad movie. Yeah. And one of the text messages during that same scenario that's described, he sent a text that reads, we will take her first and let you suffer for a while before putting you out of your misery. Um, that's him to her. So these two were a pair. Um, they they mm-hmm. had some friction back and forth, uh, but he wow. acted on it. Yeah. So, you know, and I, it's Mm. not that I, the reason I always like to include some cases of those who are wealthy and privileged is because when it comes to crime, you know, while yes, oftentimes many, oftentimes if the poor suffer the most, but honestly, crazy rich people. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Crazy rich people. the, 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 The two 
thugs that drown or just that and he had the ability to talk them into doing something and to make some make an offer to them that they couldn't in their mind couldn't refuse you know the worth of 19 gold bars i i, no. I don't know offhand but it's got to be multi-millions for for this little excursion they had to take <laughs> um so i i don't know i i i think if they would have lived uh there's a good chance they would have said oh, here's what happened um, Here's what really happened. Let really me tell happened. you a story. And, yeah, and this is how the approach went. And so uh, it, it's just, it, it took a lot of twists and turns, but um, yeah. Well, he's behind bars. He's not going anywhere, at least for a while. Very, very strange case. Yeah. So for those of you who have been following this case, we've got an update. And this is a case we covered here on the podcast, and it's about Charlie Funes. Um, we had Charlie and her mom and Lewis on the program a few months ago because Charlie, as you all may recall, is um, a little girl who claimed that she had been attacked during PE class by a girl who allegedly had been bullying her for a very long time. Charlie was, uh, and the videotapes, the surveillance videos at the school supported this. She was tripped from behind. Charlie hit the cement floor face first, knocked out her front teeth, um, face was badly bruised. And the reason, and I know, Lewis, you immediately jumped on this and you offered your services to the family because you felt that they were not getting justice. Right, right, right. And so uh, Charlie and her mom came on the program along with Lewis. And the, and the reason they came on the program was, again, justice. It, it was They didn't think it was okay that the girl who allegedly attacked her was only given a two-day suspension. The family didn't think it was okay that the police were not taking this seriously because it was an assault. And so they, they took their case public. What they did was they released a photo of Charlie's beaten up face. It went viral. And that's what pressured both the school and the authorities to take this much more seriously. And after our episode aired, then it appears, and I know all of this is very secretive, Lewis, but it appears that something is, has happened. Their charges have been filed in, in juvenile court against the other girl. Is that correct? Correct. Yes, ma'am. That's correct. In fact, as we're speaking right now, because we filmed this on a, uh, I record this on a Wednesday, uh, they are in court. Uh, the suspect in this, the juvenile suspect, is in juvenile court right now. I'm waiting any second to get an update from Charlie's mom as to what happened t today in court. Uh, but uh, I hope, and they're, again, they're not looking for huge retaliation. They just want this girl, this young girl, this young lady, to get the help that she needs. Uh, I can a couple really positive updates up in the last couple of weeks that have happened. First of all, Charlie has made a decision with her mom, but it's really, according to her mom and dad, it's Charlie's choice to go back to the school where this happened. She wants to face and go back, and she wants to finish what she started with her group of friends that she's been coming up to school with. Fantastic. And she has a very yeah. good, positive uh, attitude about that because of all the support she was getting, a lot of it from this podcast and also from uh, the Gracie Academy of Jiu-Jitsu. She started and was given a course in Jiu-Jitsu about two months ago, shortly after this happened, and she's finished it, the first phase of it, which is a how to deal with bullies course, and she aced it. So she's her confidence has grown by leap and bounds. 
Um, a few weeks ago, PAVE, the organization I'm part of, Promoting Awareness Victim Empowerment, through Angela Rose, we were able to get, because this story broke here on this podcast, a dentist to donate reconstructive surgery for Charlie's beautiful smile. And she now has that. And she is so proud of it. Uh, so she's, she, And we're going to be showing those photos yeah, as well. For those yeah. of you who are listening, I mean, all you need to know is that the little girl who you saw with the bruised face and the broken front teeth, she's now smiling and has beautiful teeth again. Yeah, yeah. So good things have happened. People have stepped forward uh, and just to help in any way possible. Um, and, and even of note, uh, Charlie's mom was contacted by... Uh, friend and family close to the suspect who actually thanked her and Charlie for coming out with this saying that young lady, that family, they need help. And because of what you're doing, chances are they're going to get it. So it's just, it's really moved in a positive direction uh, and hopefully keeps going that way. Yeah. And I, I think when people do kind things like help fix her teeth, which you can imagine you're 13 years old. Look, no matter what age you are, if your front teeth get broken, you feel bad about it. And it was impacting Charlie's ability to speak. For those of you who saw that episode, or you could see it now or um, online, she was having trouble explaining to us what was going on. She was a little hard to understand because of the teeth. It was impacting her speech. So um, so, so many good things have happened from what I call the outraged and angry chorus where everybody says, wait a minute, this is not okay. This is not okay. And there's been a lot of healing. And again, to be very clear, Charlie and her family have absolutely not wanted anything bad to happen to this other little girl. Should there be consequences for her actions? Absolutely. That is a part of justice. It is a part of growing up consequences. So hopefully as part of that, the courts will look at the bigger picture and find out what's going on there and how can we help with her behaviors and anger management and all the other things going on um, in that little girl's world. So we've all learned a lesson there about grace. Yeah, absolutely. So it's a great update. I, I love the photos. I love to see Charlie smiling and I it's marvelous that she's going to go back to school. What we don't know is, is the other little girl going to go back to the same school? We don't know for sure. They believe, they were told that she is not, but you never know. But in Charlie's mind, it doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter. And she's going to go forward with her life and, and, and do what she wants to do um, and enjoy herself and grow up. Excellent. Well, Well, thanks for the update, Louis. That's our episode. It's been a pleasure having you on. One of the rare times I get to see you. (laughs) That's true. Sorry. Pretty soon, maybe, huh? Yeah, very soon. I think you and I have a date coming up in September. I think so. Let's hope that we can keep that. (laughs) I know. Uh, Louis and I are working on some fun projects that we hope to share with all of you. So, Louis, where can people find you if they need um, a kind human being to help them or just whatever it is that you're up working on and all the the good stuff you do? Where can people find you? Thank you, Anna. My entire social media footprint is at getbitinvestigations.com. It's easy to get a hold of me. I'm not hiding. So please, if you need help, (laughs) let us know. 
All right. Thanks, Lewis. And you can find me at Anna G News, Anna with one N. So as always, you can find our content really wherever you get your podcasts, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google. Of course, you can watch on YouTube, leave a comment. Always want to hear from you. And you can subscribe to our newsletter at truecrimedaily.com. Until next week, this is True Crime Daily, the podcast. I am your host, Anna Garcia. And as we always say, don't do crime. Don't do crime.